0: Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with thought leaders and experts in the Canadian cannabis industry. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success. Hello and welcome to the Grow Opportunity podcast. I'm your host, Marilyn DeGuzman. Now that the spring season is upon us, it's a good time to be talking about outdoor cultivation. In the last year or so, Health Canada has really ramped up licensing for outdoor cannabis growing, which as of August 2020, I believe, has reached 59 million square feet. It's a growing trend among cultivators that's not without the normal ups and downs that could go with any business venture. So here to talk to me about the ins and outs of outdoor growing is one of the industry's pioneers in craft cannabis and outdoor cultivation. Alex Rumi is the Chief Strategy Officer and co-founder of Good Buds, a licensed producer in Salt Spring Island, BC. Welcome, Alex.
1: Hi, Marilyn. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, In the May-June issue of Grow Opportunity, we're running a feature about outdoor cultivation, and um, you were actually interviewed for that. So thanks for participating in that story. Absolutely. My pleasure. Can you talk about how Good Buds uh, got started in the industry and the rationale for growing cannabis outdoors?
1: I'd love to take credit, but it all started with my brother, Tyler. Um, so we are a family company, but um, you know he really started his cannabis career back in university growing under the MMAR, um, the old you know medical uh, program there. But it really actually started with a, a trip across the country in a, in a sprinter van with him and his partner, you know, they stopped in Salt Spring Island, where we we have a whole bunch of family there. And you know, as an as a kid going there, we never really noticed. But uh, as an adult, he really you know fell in love with the cannabis culture out there and the um, just the incredible growing climate for outdoor cannabis. Um, you know, on Salt Spring, you can kind of anywhere you go, you'll find someone growing in their backyard, and they're growing some pretty amazing stuff. So that's kind of where the idea I guess started for Good Buds, um, and so. You know, back in 2017, we actually started the company. He he pulled me in. I I was you know helping him since his university days, and he he pulled me in to help uh, get the company going and started. And uh, since then, we, the first year or so, living on uh, he was living out of the back of his van on the land. Uh, I've been helping a lot because I I have a background uh, working with a heavily regulated industry and government, so uh, it aligned really nicely with cannabis and and all the regulations that are involved in in starting a, a cannabis company. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where we got our start and, um, you know, from the beginning, we always had a focus on outdoor cannabis and we we're actually, we're really, uh, I guess, lucky, grateful um, and excited to be the, the first outdoor license uh, awarded in Canada about two years ago now in, in uh, May 2019.
0: Is it Tyler that sort of in charge of the whole cultivation, touching the plant and you're doing the business side of things?
1: Yeah, it's I mean, it is it is fluid in the sense that we we both kind of do a bit of everything. Um, I definitely would say, though, Tyler is, uh, you know, we have um, head growers and things, but Tyler really is our kind of long standing master grower in the sense that he's he's really he's, you know, his passion is being with the plants, making sure they're growing well. Um, you know, extracting them in the best way. So he's really a hands-on uh, CEO for the company where, um, you know, a- everything that leaves our site, he pretty much <laughs> hand inspects personally and is involved in the process. Um, you know, whereas I I do get involved in a lot more in, you know, the regulatory stuff, uh, working with the provincial agents on the sales side of things and, and a lot of more of the, yeah, I guess you call it like the business side of things to to help kind of round out our our, our strengths. So yeah, it's a it's a nice kind of yin and yang relationship between the two of us.
0: Right. What are your views and principles when it comes to growing cannabis for your consumers?
1: Uh, the company vision, um, I would say, uh, we really focus on uh, just growing products that customers would want and would be excited about. Um, so, you know, it's all about the craft quality and kind of that personal touch on the product. Um, We, uh, I actually have a background, did my degree in international development, which is completely unrelated to cannabis (laughs) actually, Uh, but it did give me some nice exposure to things like, you know, ecological economics, like regenerative agriculture. Uh, I also did a lot of learning about, you know, industries like coffee where they have all these um, more equitable ways of doing things now, like the fair trade, direct trade, shade, shade grown, et cetera um so that helped give some ideas on you know the way we want to, to set this company up and do things and so we really do try to always do things ethically um both in terms of the environment and the people a, a nice proud achievement of ours is we were actually bc's first uh, certified living wage employer in cannabis um and the second in canada and something that we have kind of been doing since the start but we uh you know we got that certification last year uh because we didn't know it existed before that but uh you know we find that in treating the employees right, they they put a little bit more, you know, tender love and care into the plants, um, you know, and they're a little bit, you know, happier employees make happier products. Um, and then, you know, the other big piece for us is the environment. Uh, and it's a big part of what drew, drew us to outdoor cannabis um, and organic cultivation is is just really trying to, to pr- do things in an ethical way that um, you know, sustainable for the environment um, and, and a lower lower carbon impact um, so that, you know, we can be proud about the products we're making.
0: So you've made that decision from the beginning to grow cannabis organically, outdoor, as a craft producer. Can you talk about some of the advantages and disadvantages for outdoor cultivation, particularly from your perspective as a small batch craft production organic producer?
1: You know, speaking about the advantages, I think maybe I'll point out three, three of the, you know, the big ones, because you could go on forever. But, you know, the first one would obviously be um, the environmental impact. Um, so it's something that we you know feel very strongly about. Uh, cannabis is, at the end of the day, a plant and it's, you know plants don't typically grow indoors in a sterile factory environment. And so outdoor, you know, it's just so much more sustainable than indoor uh, over the long term uh, when you're growing at scale. And so, you know, we did some calculations internally about um, our own field, and uh, based on some US data and we found that we were saving about the equivalent of 9900 homes uh, over the months that we were growing outdoors uh, versus if we had grown that same, you know, those same plants indoors. So it's, you know, there's a massive impact uh, in terms of your energy costs um, and energy use, um, but there's also a whole lot less waste from outdoor, like we don't use any plastic pots or, you know, synthetic growing medium. We, uh, we put, you know, plants into soil uh, and we use organic fertilizers to, you know, make that soil more more fertile Um, and you know for us because we're organic we also don't spray any pesticides so there's no kind of runoff into the watershed or any issues like that as well so it's you know i think the environmental piece you know cannot be stated enough and i think it's really important um, as the industry evolves that 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 outdoor does take its place as um, a big component of the cannabis industry because it is just so much better for the environment and so much more sustainable The other piece, I think, uh, as an advantage uh, would be, you know, outdoors definitely cost effective when done right. You don't have to invest in the same, you know, facility costs, uh, lighting and energy costs. Um, The other, I guess the big caveat I'd add to that, which I'll probably get into the disadvantages is, but the outdoor, you know, um, you do have to hit a certain quality threshold um, because obviously if you're if you're growing things really cost-effectively, it it doesn't really matter if you can't sell it. So, um, you know, that's why for us, it's always always about quality outdoors um, because, you know, you need to, at the end of the day, make a product that customers want and would be excited about. It's about really hitting that balance. Uh, You know, you can take it to the extreme with cost-effectiveness to to make biomass, but I find that the real, the right way to do it with outdoor, at least for us, has been to just really focus on quality and let those kind of natural cost advantages, um, you know, play out just through just through not having to, you know, invest in those other uh, items. Um, And then the final advantage I would uh, point to is unlike indoor, outdoor can actually provide you with a really unique terroir, um, similar to like a wine region. Um, You know, you can't for us, we're actually growing right next to the Pacific Ocean. So we get these uh, like salty ocean breezes that blow over our plants all the time when they're outdoors. Uh, And it actually gives them this almost like unique, um, sticky, greasy quality that's really, I think, really interesting. Um, It's actually amazing for uh, making products like hash and rosin out of them as well. That's something that, you know, you can't really replicate in a factory, you know, sterile factory like setting or even in a greenhouse where the, you know, the environments are so uh, tightly controlled. but it's something that I think will, over time, evolve with the cannabis industry. Like you see in the United States with the Emerald Triangle, the Emerald Cup, um, you know, Humboldt County. The, there's a lot of these really top-tier growers uh, who grow within this specific region of California uh, that has almost like world renown uh, because it's just so unique and special. And I think we're going to see that with uh, with Canada as well as we continue to evolve the industry. And and um, I think. For us in particular, Salt Spring Island and the Gulf Islands around us are just an amazing growing region for cannabis. And so I think that's kind of something that hasn't played out yet, but I think it will start to play a factor in future years that um, getting that unique terroir is just really something awesome that uh, people will learn to appreciate. Uh, the way they do with wines. And then uh, thinking about the disadvantage of outdoor, uh, there's definitely um, some additional challenges. Uh, The first, and I think the biggest one, is you can't control your climate like indoor, so you really do need to pick the right location to help offset that. You know, we're lucky in that Salt Spring Island is a very mild climate, good for growing cannabis, but there are places where it's, whether it's the light season or the the temperatures can turn on you pretty quickly if uh, if you're not careful, so the climate can definitely play a factor. From our end, it's, you know, it's location, but it's also uh, you just have to focus a bit more on the soil composition and your genetics to be uh, to kind of compensate for the fact that you can't control that climate. Because you know, not only do you want good flavor and potency, but uh, with outdoor, you also have to find those genetics that uh, they grow well in your climate. So um, and and that are maybe resistant to common issues within your climate. So for us, for example, powdery mildew is a big thing that comes later in the fall. Um, So we you know, are targeting strains for our outdoor that not only deliver kind of potency and quality, but that are also either early finishers or uh, resistant to powdery mildew, which is so it just kind of adds that extra layer of complexity uh, to what you're growing, especially around the genetics. I guess the second uh, disadvantage that I'd point out is um, there's definitely a a stigma around outdoor being lower quality than indoor, um, especially in Canada. I think it's something that we will get beyond, but um, it's something that happened because of, you know, the black market days people were often, I guess, bush growing or gorilla growing uh, and weren't really giving the plants the the TLC that they need to thrive. And so, especially in the short term, in the next couple of years, outdoor producers really do need to bring their A game to get noticed uh, and to overcome that hurdle of, of customers kind of thinking that outdoor maybe isn't as good as indoor
0: you know, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're exposed to the environment, you know, growing outdoors. So how do you manage pests?
1: So as an organic grower, we actually just use beneficial, Mm -hmm. um, you know, beneficial organisms, and and just try to make sure that our, our, our plants are as um, strong and resistant as possible. So we, we plant cover crops, um, like clover to help, um, you know, infuse the nutrients into the soil, but also to help kind of uh, ward off pests naturally um, and then we also grow uh, it's also through our strain uh, selection where we grow strains that are naturally resistant like I mentioned this things like powdery mildew or other pests um you know it's it's in your strain selection as well as the um, as kind of the way you, you grow um and that's kind of how we're doing it through more organic methods
0: right do, do you guys grow all year?
1: We actually have, um, a small indoor facility. So we have, um, like we grow in a double wide recycled shipping containers, actually. So we have about 14 rooms indoors that we do that, like extra small batch, um, production indoors. Uh, and that's where we keep our mother stock for the outdoor, um, season to, to cut the clones, you know, that we transplant outdoors. Um, but we actually only do one crop cycle per year, uh, from about May till October.
0: You, you mentioned the, uh, the stigma around, you know, outdoor versus indoor, um, you know, there are perceptions or misperceptions out there that indoor grown cannabis is of a higher quality than outdoor grown. Could you talk a little bit more about that and why that's not true? (laughs) Why you beg to disagree?
1: (laughs) Um, so I think, you know, the way I'd, I'd probably put it is I think indoor, you can control things a lot easier. So it's easier to get, um, know within that threshold of high quality Uh, with outdoor you do have a bit more of a wide range Uh, and what I mean by that is um, you can still get some strains and some product that's able to compete with the absolute best indoor. Uh, We were lucky enough last year to have one of our strains outdoors hit 28% THC Uh, which, you know, for us, we were clicking our heels and and thrilled about that uh, and are, you know, planting a lot of that same strain this year, hoping to get similar results. But I think, you know, typically outdoor, you might cap out in kind of the high teens for for THC. And so I know as, um, you know, in Canada, especially uh, THC has been really the, I guess, the the poster boy for quality uh in in the early years of legalization i think the market is evolving where people care more about things like terpenes uh, flavor profiles and so uh, that's really where outdoor shines um is in like the terps, the flavor um the unique like i mentioned the terroir uh, bringing that kind of unique almost wine region like quality to your cannabis where it's it's unique based on its location as well um and so i think as the market continues to evolve and people continue to get more educated about things you know like the terps and the flavor uh people's uh, perception of the outdoor will uh, will evolve with it um to the point where i think you'll see growers that are producing really high quality craft outdoor um being considered in the same caliber as you know the really high quality indoor but yeah, no, I think it's the initial reaction of, uh, you know, people growing bush in, out, in the legacy market and then uh, some of the early movers kind of doing it only for biomass. I think it gives the wrong impression of outdoor, and, but outdoor really, you know, it can be up there with some really good indoor stuff as well.
0: Right. And I guess the, the really the bottom line is, you know, the consumers. And their experiences with the products, right? It's just a mm. developing consumer preference and you know their experiences with the specific products. For sure, you mentioned um, you know the evolving market and the industry has also been evolving. I guess um, in the last year. Um, you know, with downsizing or right sizing and those types of things. And and some of the initial investments that some LPs have done in their outdoor cultivation production, they've sort of made a decision recently to close uh, their outdoor production due to to, to various reasons. What insights can you provide, uh, you know, from a business perspective to ensure the success of a commercial outdoor grow?
1: You know, uh, speaking about some of those early investors that uh, have since kind of change course and focus you know on their indoor operations or other operations um i do think at the beginning there was an allure of you know low cost high margin product uh, at massive scales uh, with outdoor and that's i think why a lot of people got into it for you know just cheap biomass essentially <laughs> um and i think um you know kind of goes back to what i mentioned earlier it's uh you know outdoor it can be very cost effective but i think um, with outdoor there's actually an even greater need to prove your quality because at the end of the day, the product needs to be sellable and customers need to want to buy it and, and to enjoy it uh, for it to be successful, no matter how cheaply you can grow it. I think that's the big equation that people need to really consider when they're thinking about outdoors that actually almost to the same degree, or even more than indoor, you really need to focus on quality uh, when when you're growing outdoors to, to have it uh, be successful. Um, you know, for us, I, I guess an insight that I would give is, um, you know, for us the first couple of years, uh, we considered it almost R and D years in, in a lot of ways, in that we um, we tested out a whole bunch of genetics on our field. Um, we checked, we, we tried out different soil compositions um, and all t- all sorts of different variables uh, within our field to try and really figure out what worked within our land um because you can't control the climate um, and you can't control some of those factors that you could with indoor it's the for outdoor it's not quite as clear cut like you know there are guidelines for growing good outdoor but it's not quite as clear cut as indoor um and so you know uh, something that where we found success is we we, we actually planted over 100 000, um f1 seeds so first generation seeds in our field over the last two years um and just did a massive pheno hunt uh, for R&D purposes, just to really hone in on those genetics that were performing in our field and, and did really uh, thrive in our microclimate. Um, and so, you know, we probably could have done better financially <laughs> had we had mm-hmm. we just you know, thrown some clones into the field. But I think uh, what we've gotten as the end result of that is we actually, you know, have that strain. I mentioned earlier orangutan which hit 28% last year. We had a few others that were just producing incredible. Um, we have one called Snow God, which is a, a live rosin that we're that's in B.C. right now. That's I think it was ninety four percent total cannabinoids plus another five and a half percent terps. So it's uh, you know just an incredible quality like live rosin um, and that was grown in our outdoor field. So it's um, you know, for us, we, we took a bit more time with it and uh, really focused on the long game. And I think that will pay off in in future years. Um, as we kind of can start actually reaping the benefit of that. Whereas I think um, if you approach outdoors, uh, hey, let's just throw a whole bunch of seeds and, and try and get the maximum volume out of it uh, the first year, you might, yeah, there, there are probably going to be some hiccups.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's a great point. That's, there's really, it goes to show there's really no shortcut to success, right? So, you know, as an outdoor grower, with the climate change that's happening right now, I'm wondering if that's part of your um, business development plans.
1: It's definitely something that we take seriously and, and do consider, uh, a, you know, I guess a serious risk or threat to the business uh, and something that you just, you have to management through risk management. Um, you know, from our perspective, uh, we do have a smaller indoor operation that we we run year round um, and one small kind of lower tech greenhouse. Um, so we, we've kind of tried to break our cultivation into a couple different categories just to help mitigate any risk of, uh, you know, call it an adverse weather event, uh crop failure uh in any given year. Um there, you know, f- for from our past experience, last year we actually uh, on Salt Spring Island, there was a there's a whole lot of wildfires happening in um you know on the west coast in the United States and in Canada, even on Vancouver Island, there's a, a whole bunch of wildfires. So we had a few a good week or so of um you know a lot of smog and um you know, adverse weather that fortunately didn't really impact the crop. But, um, you know, I could see in future years that becoming a concern as, uh, you know, every year it seems to be an issue, uh, especially in B.C. Um, in the late summer. So uh, it's something that we definitely we try to manage internally through just having different means of cultivation. We also um, on our from our genetic perspective, we plant uh, we purposely plant some early finishers, some later finishers. Um, Typically, you know, your early finishers don't yield as high as your later finishers, but it's almost another form of risk management where you can pull some plants out in August and others in October um, to try and get the maximum yield uh, from those extra two months. But it's a nice, you know, risk management approach as well. Um, And then the other piece is um, it hasn't, you know, evolved yet, but we are talking with insurance groups and I believe crop insurance for cannabis will start to come around in the coming years and so we're looking forward to that as well and have been working with insurers to try and you know come up with something that might help um mitigate that as well um and then you know from our from our perspective it's it it just underlies the importance of why we grow sustainably and organically um you know our our soil actually uh we're running tests now to to check the carbon content because uh with our regenerative uh, approach our soil um it seems like it will have a uh, greater carbon content over time. And so we actually are likely to qualify for you know carbon recapture credits um, by doing that and, and doing things in that regenerative way. Um, so you know, it's a bit of a I guess a, a holistic approach that we're taking trying to do our part to reduce the impact of climate change while also you know through our operations mitigating it and uh, looking at the outside sources like insurers to try and find you know backup solutions.
0: Yeah, sounds that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I wanna jump to the discussion around craft cannabis. There's been a push uh, to highlight some of these craft producers with the OCS um, introducing a craft section in the website. Even the number of craft producers and microcultivators have grown significantly over the last year or so. What do you think this means for the industry and what role do you see craft producers? playing in the overall development and progress of the cannabis industry?
1: I think it's fantastic that craft producers are on the rise. Um, I think it's amazing for the industry and it's amazing for customers in particular because they get more choice. Um, and, and craft producers tend to bring just really unique products to the table or different strains, you know, different products. So as a whole, I think it's amazing and it's it's definitely uh, good for the evolution of the industry um, and for, you know, customers at the end of the day. I do think it's it's been a challenging one because the word craft is thrown around a lot of in our, in our industry. And I do think it'd be great to get some way of um, getting alignment on what craft actually means, mm-hmm. um, because I do see, you know, examples of companies that are we'll just say brands of a definitely not craft producer, uh, you know, with mega facilities uh, calling themselves craft um, and, you know, using that language in a way to, you know, attract more customers to their products. And so, you know, I think what OCS is doing is a great first step in terms of trying to, you know, okay, here are some key, criteria that we are considering craft and and very being very explicit about what those are um, I think that's the right approach to take to try and you know find a way to just I guess educate consumers and make take out the the confusion about what craft truly is um, within the marketplace and, and which products are do qualify as craft. I mean in general I do think it's great though that the craft growers are coming up and I do think they're going to continue to take a, a larger portion of the market. Um, because people that consume the most cannabis typically want those more interesting products um, and and they want to try new things. And so having a robust craft market, I think, is is fantastic.
0: You know, I've heard that uh, also from other craft producers. It's just the lack of the standard definition of what craft is, right? Mm -hmm. Is that something you'd like to see in the review of the Cannabis Act? Or um, is that something that the industry just has to come up with a standard?
1: You know, it's a good question. I think um, it probably would follow the industry uh, through, you know, maybe creating some sort of certifying body, you know, similar to the way, you know, we're organic certified uh, because we follow specific organic standards through uh, Fraser Valley Organic Producers Association or our, you know, living wage certification that we have is because we meet certain thresholds on, you know, minimum salaries for employees. So I, I do think there could be a regulating body for craft as well, where we uh, as an industry, it's an independent body or, or maybe an industry association that comes up with a, some sort of certification where it meets a certain threshold in terms of, you know, I, I think things like batch size um, total perhaps total facility size. Um, you know hang dried hand trimmed, all those kind of features that you would expect from as a customer for your uh, you know craft product to qualify as craft. But yeah, I think it probably would fall the industry just because I mean, Health Canada. You know, they're they're really focused on customer safety and, and um, you know the safety of Canadians first and foremost. And so it doesn't. It's a little bit out of their, um, I guess, their core area of concern. So I feel like industry. It's something industry should probably look to.
0: Despite the uh, the increased number the increased number of licenses issued to uh, micro cultivators, um, you know, that will pave the way for craft production. Are you seeing any other barriers for? The craft producers to really, you know, have that level playing field with the large scale producers and really flourish as a category.
1: Um, I I think the biggest one is around uh, funding and finances, Um, you know, the Canadian finance financial industry has won't touch cannabis with a 10 foot pole. essentially. <laughs> so we've run into it ourselves where none of the big five banks would touch us, um, you know, having to pay exorbitant fees just to open a bank account, um, not, you know, being able to get a, a loan or credit card, you know, car- company credit card or anything like that, that, you know, normal businesses never would have to deal with. Um, it, it's just really, they put you through the ringer, uh, any, you know, financial institution in Canada. And unfortunately, it's just a completely different standard for cannabis companies than any other company or any other industry in canada it's, it's almost treated as a pseudo you know illegal market still by the finance industry and so i think that has been devastating for smaller producers um because you essentially have to come up with the cash up front uh in an industry where it's extremely capital intensive um you know from our perspective we had to you have to have your facility ready uh, to get your Health Canada license and then you have to grow at least two different batches uh, to qualify for a sales license um, so uh, you know I, I think they've tightened up their timelines but uh, at our time it took a from when we got our cultivation license to our sales license it was almost a year and a half that we were you know an operating concern and we couldn't make a single sale Um, so, you know, things like that are, it's extremely difficult for, you know, smaller companies that uh, maybe aren't public on the stock exchange and have, you know, tens of millions of investor funds, um, you know, the lack of financing or or financial support through the, through the Canadian finance industries is is definitely a big barrier, I think for, for craft growers. Um, and then there's other areas like, I think the high insurance requirements, um, set out by provinces is somewhat punitive towards craft growers, you know, requiring uh, recall insurance for $10 million per occurrence. Um, you know, I think it's almost like $50,000 for that insurance coverage alone, let alone all your other insurance for, you know, the actual building and, and everything else, you know, and that's required just to do business in, in several provinces. Um, and, you know, when you're doing small batches, you know, your batches not, not worth one one-hundredth or one-one-thousandth of that amount for the recall coverage that you're required to get. Um, so that's, you know, another area where just it, a lot of things like that, where it's, you know, a standard amount that was considered for, I guess, higher scale growers or higher scale, larger scale companies. And the same rules apply to, you know, no matter how, to, no matter how big you are. Uh, currently I, I do think some areas are they are working on that but it's um, it's definitely something we've run into as an earlier mover. you know and and then the provincials you know buying agencies' emphasis on minimum quantities and consistent supply is a challenge as well because as a craft grower you want to be releasing small batch unique stuff and and changing the strains uh, frequently but um, the provinces you know to date have often focused a lot on you know product consistency, and, uh, you know, dependability. So always being in stock. And so, you know, it also plays to the larger producers uh, favor again. Uh, I guess from the customer perspective, fortunately there is a lot of support for craft, but, you know, on on the price price bottoming out is a challenge (laughs) where some of these big producers are essentially dumping product at very low cost, you know, old inventory or things like that. It just really sends, has ripple effects through the the whole market and, you know, This emphasis on THC is also challenging for craft growers, um, but I, I think that's all evolving as more craft growers come in, th- those types of challenges uh, in the consumer's minds will probably alleviate and make things better for everyone else when the more craft growers keep coming in.
0: Right. So Ontario cannabis stores, Ontario has done this craft category. Are you seeing a similar trend? in other like in bc or in other parts of the country that you're doing business in um, in terms of uh, giving it a you know a spotlight section in in the stores
1: definitely at the retail level i think um, retailers are very interested in craft and it's something unique that they can talk about Um, so i think uh, you know retailers for sure have been have been great advocates for us and we have lots of amazing retail partners who like to support our product because it's you know family grown craft organic um you know a little guy grown by a little guy not the uh, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. the, the goliath um and so i think there's there's a lot of support for it at the retail and the customer level um the provincial level it's um i think ontario's taking a nice step with this the other provinces I, I'm not sure if I've seen it specifically. Um, some, of, some other provinces do have, um, I guess, lower barriers to entry in some ways, um, which is helpful. Uh, so I think, you know, they're all kind of doing their different approach to how to support craft. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I, I mean, I would like to see more of it, obviously, uh, of course, uh, if possible, because I think they're, uh, you know, similar to craft beer, I think it will be, you know, a significant portion of the market in time. Uh, as more of these smaller players come to market.
0: Right. And uh, as you mentioned too, like the craft uh, producers, they have that advantage of, you know, the story behind their product to be able to tell that and, you know, use that as their market strategy, I guess, Mm because consumers are patronizing products that have a good story to tell, the sustainability stories and all those Mm -hmm. types of things. So yeah, it's really a, a good opportunity for the craft cannabis sector to, translate that into profile in the industry.
1: Absolutely, and it's actually, I, I will point out, it's, uh, I would, you know, as much as Health Canada has, you know, there have been a very cautious approach, it's actually one area where it's played in the favor of the craft producer is um, Health Canada's regulations against, against marketing and you know, branding and packaging. Um, it has helped to put things on a bit more of an even playing field for the smaller guys, uh, craft producers that don't have the massive, you know, branding and marketing budgets. Um, because you are allowed to talk about okay, how you grow it, uh, where you grow it, you know, different features of the strain, but uh, things like celebrity endorsements or um, other marketing uh, features that you see in industries like alcohol, uh, you can't you can't use those tactics. Which you know, it, it takes a bit of, um, it makes it a bit more of an even playing field for the craft producer. So that that's one feature. As much as it could be challenging to work with the, all the labeling requirements, it is. Uh, it, there's a nice side effect there for craft producers that, you know, you have a bit more of a chance to compete, um, without, you know, having to spend those massive marketing budgets. Right.
0: And speaking of telling your stories, what's some of the new things that are happening at Good Buds that people should know about?
1: Yeah. So we're, um, I mean, we've, we recently launched a, a couple new strains that are actually happening in, in Alberta first and then rolling out other provinces, um, you know, the orangutan one that we that I mentioned earlier, we, we grow it indoors as well. It's uh it's a really great derby strain and, and our dosing melon strain. Um And then, you know, the, the big one is we're just gearing up for this year's harvest. And, um you know, the part that excites us is this year was kind of the first year we're planting by clone Uh because we did those first two R&D years, we've managed to find the absolute best phenotypes that we're really excited about Uh and we're basically planting our whole field in it this year. So Come this kind of fall winter, we should have some really exciting, you know, products from that outdoor field, uh, similar to what we've got in market now. Better scale, uh, really exciting, you know, live rosin's and pre rolls and um, and other craft kind of products that are done the right way, but um, but outdoors. So yeah, we're really looking forward to that.
0: Well, thanks so much, uh, Alex, for taking us through the the processes and your visions and your principles behind your production at Good Buds. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for joining us.
1: Thank you, Marilyn. I really appreciate it.
0: That concludes our episode. Thank you for joining us and stay safe, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success. Join us again next time for another engaging discussion. For the latest news and information impacting the Canadian cannabis industry, visit growopportunity.ca. Until next time.